Hello and welcome back to the Porty Podcast. We've had to take an enforced break over the past few months. It's a long story. Let's simply say that I had an emergency hip replacement and a diagnosis of advanced prostate cancer. That kind of thing rather changes your sense of priorities. Prostate cancer itself has been very much in the news recently. It's just overtaken breast cancer to become the third largest cancer killer in the UK. One in ten in Scotland will get the disease. It means that just here in Portobello alone, there may be five, six hundred males, perhaps more, who will get it at some point in their lives. That's quite a staggering thought. The good news is that we're well served here in Edinburgh. The Western General is widely recognised not just as a Scottish centre of excellence, but a world centre as well. There's also a superb Maggie Centre based at the hospital, a source of huge amounts of support and information about cancers of all kinds, and it's also home to the Edinburgh and Lothian's Prostate Cancer Support Group. I was introduced to the group by Larry Foster. We go rowing together with Roporty. Larry is a prostate cancer survivor, as is Dr Rob Lester, a retired GP, who is now a trustee of the group. I started by asking Dr Lester to explain about the prostate and what it does. The prostate is a gland. It produces fluid which carries the sperm. So the prostate is there to produce seminal fluid. It's in the lower part of the pelvic area, just beneath the bladder, about the size of a walnut on average. Okay, so for those of us who have prostate cancer, what basically happens? The cells inside the prostate change and start to develop more quickly and eat in to the tissue around and produce a lump. And that lump grows rapidly within the prostate gland and sometimes it stays within the prostate and sometimes it escapes. Now I've mentioned that I have advanced prostate cancer so presumably that means that it has, as you put it, escaped. That's exactly right. It means it's escaped from the confines of the prostate and got out into what they call lymph gland tissue or bone tissue or sometimes it's just got into the organs that are close by. How serious is that, therefore? That's a very serious problem. Advanced prostate cancer is the most active type of cancer that is diagnosed. So if if it's going to be fed by anything, my consultant told me it's uh, basically fed by testosterone, is that right? That's exactly right. We think testosterone is the trigger for prostate cancer rapidly growing. Part of the problem is that I had no symptoms. Is that common? That is common in advanced prostate cancer. The more advanced the cancer, the less likely you are to have symptoms at the beginning. That's a surprise. In other types of prostate cancer where it's not so dangerous, symptoms come along relatively early and men get a warning. Unless you get a warning, you're going to depend on perhaps there being some kind of test to give you advance warning that something's going wrong. That's true, actually. There are tests that can be done which can give you an idea if things are going wrong. The common one is called the PSA test, which is prostate-specific antigen, which is a protein that's produced by prostate tissue and can be measured on a blood test. It's actually quite a simple test to do, but I was never offered that. No, it's not generally offered. Men have to ask for it. It is a simple test to do. It's quite an easy test. It's not an expensive test. But in Britain, men over 50 
are entitled to ask for such a test. That is putting the onus very much on the patient. Yes, the onus is on the patient. Now, the onus might be on the doctor if you have symptoms that alert the doctor that there may be prostate cancer. And in those cases, the doctor might offer you the test if they have suspicions. But they have to have suspicions. They have to have some idea that this is something that they need to diagnose. One of the signs there could be a problem is the need to go to the toilet much more frequently and indeed with a real sense of urgency. Another could be that when the prostate cancer starts to grow, it starts to squeeze the urethra. That's the tube that carries urine from the bladder, which means that passing urine can be difficult and sometimes painful. This is one of the many areas where the Edinburgh and Lothian's Prostate Cancer Support Group can help men understand their condition. It meets six times a year in the Maggie Centre at the Western General. It's a very relaxed and formal group in which members offer help and support to each other. As I mentioned, I was introduced to the group by Larry Foster. When he was diagnosed, the range of available treatments was much more limited. I was diagnosed 11 years ago, David, and yes, I was offered radiotherapy or surgery. I opted for surgery. I I took the simple approach that uh, take it out and that's it dealt with. (laughs) That was my approach at the time. It was an anxious time. I certainly uh, needed to talk to other people and I wanted to talk to other people about what the treatment involved and the after effects and understand my situation. So I discovered there was a support group which uh, now meets regularly at Maggie's and I talked to some other people there patients who'd been through it and decided that was the right course of action. The point was in those days there was a limited number of treatments that are actually available as we've already heard. Yes I had a treatment called uh, prostatectomy which at that time was done as open surgery and was quite invasive and was a 10-day stay in hospital. They just started bringing in laparoscopic prostatectomies and um, I was sorry, a, that's the sort of keyhole version. Sorry, a keyhole version, I beg your pardon. Yes, so uh, I was uh, number 30, actually, at Edinburgh, who had uh, had that treatment. Now they've done about six to 700, and they've recently, in the last year, acquired a robotic Da Vinci robot, which can do a prostatectomy in 24 hours with less side effects. Okay, let's get back to the support group. That's the mm-hmm. Edinburgh and Lothian's Prostate Cancer Support Group. Just what support did you get from them? I got some great support because I, I met a, a whole range of people who, with different levels of the disease and I talked to them about what I could expect during the treatment and also what to expect after the treatment as a side effect and how to deal with that. Everybody is different, of course, but it was great to kind of understand what I could learn about the disease and how to deal with it. One of the things that the Prostate Support Group does is it brings in experts to talk to patients or people who are worried Mm -hmm. about what prostate cancer is, the treatments, the developments and Mm -hmm. so forth. And that is actually a really important thing in helping people, your men, understand Mm -hmm. what prostate cancer is and what the treatments are. The support group's great. At the regular meetings, they, they bring in experts, they bring in clinicians, they bring in clinical specialists. There was a talk last month of, uh, about the side effects of prostatectomies and radiotherapies. They also have a buddy group, so you get peer-to-peer support from those who've been through different treatments, and that uh, I found very useful, and I know many others do now as well. So I would recommend anybody who has prostate cancer diagnosis 
to at least go along and investigate the support group. Its web address will be listed alongside other resources on the new Porty Podcast Facebook page. One of the problems men face is that although we're entitled to a blood test when we reach 50, many doctors try to talk us out of it because they claim the PSA test isn't reliable enough. And to complicate matters, many men with prostate cancer don't show any of the signs mentioned a few minutes ago. I didn't, for example. But why shouldn't monitoring just be standard? After all, women get regular checks for breast and cervical cancer. Why isn't the same done for men? A question I put to Dr Rob Lester. It's because the test itself is not completely reliable. It can tell you if you're at risk. But surely that is true of other cancers as well, that there are tests which say you're at risk. That's very true. A good example would be bowel cancer screening, which is offered to men and women. What they're doing is testing for blood in the bowel motions, which can be an indicator of bowel cancer, but quite often it's a simple problem like haemorrhoids or polyps. So why isn't this done on a regular basis for men aged sort of 40, 50 or whatever? I think it's economics. It's maybe a cost factor. They haven't proved that there's a significant cost-benefit by doing this screening. So does that mean we really need to get the message across to the politicians because they're the people in charge of the money? I think we have to be clear as men with prostate cancer what we're screening for. We're screening for illness that can be treated and can be treated successfully. And if we have any hope of cutting the number of deaths, we've got to make an early diagnosis. There's also the point that the earlier the diagnosis, the less the NHS is going to spend on the treatment. Yes, that's true. I would agree with that. But there has to be good treatment. And for advanced prostate cancer, these treatments are only really developing in the last five to six years. And as, we, as recently as that? Research came out two years ago, which showed that chemotherapy is particularly valuable if given early on. So in many respects, you and I both have advanced prostate cancer. We've been quite lucky in, in terms of timing, dare I say? We've come at the right time. When I was diagnosed six years ago, chemotherapy would not have been offered to me. It would only have been given to men who were at the very end of their prostate cancer. I was offered the standard treatment, which is hormone treatment. And we've known for quite a few years now that hormone treatment works. But we've only recently discovered that chemotherapy works. OK, what is the key message that you want to get across to those who are essentially in charge? Yeah, yes, the politicians, but also the people in the NHS, the, the, the GPs, who ought to be perhaps taking a more proactive role in care of men's health. The key message is that there's a significant number of men in Scotland who are getting diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer at the very beginning. If those men were treated well, perhaps they could live longer and we would reduce the number of deaths. But if these men too had been given a test earlier, they might not have had advanced prostate cancer and might have had a different kind of treatment. We'd like to believe that with careful testing, we could pick up early signs of prostate cancer, but we would have to do the testing on a regular basis. There would have to be a structure to the testing, but have to do it, for example, annually or every second year or, in some cases, every five years. But that's already, on... that's already done in, in part, parts of the continent, so why isn't it done here? Certain countries do this, and I think in Britain it's the financial implications of testing everyone which makes it unaffordable. 
Prostate cancer is a growing problem. The fact there isn't screening means that more men are being diagnosed later when the disease has perhaps taken a greater hold. It means that more are dying before they should. Dr Lester mentioned that the case for not screening was probably an economic one. But growing numbers of men are beginning to ask if they're being treated as second-class citizens where their health is concerned. They want the NHS, and indeed the Departments of Health in Holyrood and Westminster, to carry out the analysis, to find out whether carrying out the tests would save money over the treatments being delivered, and more importantly, save lives.